Hello and welcome to your weekly podcast from Freestyle Media uh, in partnership with The Magic Five, uh, who've got a Black Friday sale on at the moment, uh, so you can enjoy up to 50% off uh, their products uh, until the end of the month. Um, so they do more than just goggles now. Um, they've got kickboards, poor boys, uh, caps, etc., all the hits. Um, so that's a Black Friday sale um, that lasts two weeks, uh, spanning all seven days of the week. Uh, listen, I don't make the rules, um, but I have put a link in the description to this episode. Uh, so click on that and check out their stuff. Um, Oxalt Strength and Conditioning is also launching an at-home, no-equipment training program for swimmers uh, in the new year. Uh, so go over to www.oxalt.com to check that one out. Uh, right then, it's Friday evening, uh, we're all feeling fine, uh, and I'm joined by Helen Gorman uh, and Kevin Pickard. Uh, so thanks for hopping on, guys. Good evening. Good evening. And uh, Helen, it's uh, it's a busy race schedule for you at the moment, isn't it? How's it all going? Uh, yeah, I've been doing a fair bit of racing. Uh, well, there's a lot coming up because I've got the AP race meet at the weekend, um, which I'm... I don't like to say too much, but I am aiming to break at least one of uh, one of the records. Um, so yeah, and I've got that, and then I've got the Welsh Short Course Masters, and then I've got the Welsh Winter Champs as well. So yeah, I'm uh, not going to stop until the week before Christmas. I think. So. Yeah, I was going to say you're not on a Christmas wind down yet, which is uh, which is good. And, and, and yeah, Kevin speaking of the AP race. I mean, you must be organs blazing now. Obviously, that's uh, that's coming up this weekend, so that must be uh, something you're excited about. Yeah, most certainly. We had a very busy weekend last weekend, a couple of events in London. Uh, we're in Derby this weekend, and we've got a little bit of a break, and then we're supporting an event in Leeds just after Christmas called Sprint with the Stars. So uh, a lot of yeah. planning and preparation, but very excited. So, yep, uh, a lovely way to kick us off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, what we're going to do is we're going to imagine uh, like a future world in this podcast. Um, talk about things that we would like to see in our sport, um, things that we hope can become a reality. Um, but I also won't reject any kind of crazy futuristic ideas because we're just having a laugh, really. We're just swimmers that are just thinking about the future, which is fine. Um, so we're going to think about um, three different things here. One is training, uh, one is racing, and then sort of public interest. How do we get more people just watching the sport? How do we get people in? Uh, to, to start swimming and then how do we retain swimmers um so what changes can we make going in, into the future that can do all of those things uh, so let's start with training um so helen it ultimately swimming is swimming is swimming just like running is running cycling is cycling there's there's only so much you can change in terms of the fundamental of actually doing the thing um you know there are four strokes uh, and, and that is what it is but how would you like to see training evolve what well, well first question actually is has it evolved a lot in your in your time in terms of the way that people train um and do you can you see it at the moment going in a certain direction um yeah I, th I think it i think it has changed since i was younger i mean obviously i'm swimming in a in a kind of young younger person's club so there's a there's a lot more parallels but um there's certainly a lot more emphasis on skills um, the amount of time we spend going off the blocks. I mean, my club at Nova Centurion when I was younger, we we didn't have any blocks. Um, you know, and there's some meets we went to we were diving off a towel anyway, so there was no point practicing it. Um, yeah, I think uh, the the kind of expertise in terms of individualized kind of technique and individualized programs. Um, the head coach of City of Cardiff, Dale. I, I, I don't know how he does it, but he could have uh, thirty swimmers in the in the pool and somehow manages to run twenty different programs it's there's a lot more sort of personalization in there so yeah and they've got the 
kind of multi heart rate monitors that the coach can see who he needs to shout at and who's training properly and things like that. Um, and yeah, there is a bit less emphasis on um, overall distance and more emphasis on the kind of uh, swimming at race pace and, and the, I guess the whole person as well, um, you know, men- mental and physical health of a swimmer, a happy swimmer is a, a fast swimmer. Whereas I think uh, when I was younger, a swimmer is a person that just swims 10, 400 medleys every Thursday and 15, 200 breaststrokes twice a week. And yeah, no, it is definitely, um, you know, those things you do outside the pool are much more considered these days. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned about obviously the fact that you swim with an age group as well, because I don't just want us to talk about um, swimming from from a master swimmer's point of view. I just want to talk about the sport generally. Um, so, Kevin, I remember when I was an age group swimmer and um, land training sort of like was, a well, it felt like a new thing for me. Um, you know, they brought it in once a week, about half an hour before session on a Friday evening, and we'd just roll some mats out and just do press ups and stuff like that. Um, have you seen a real shift in that kind of land training, strength training over the years as well. It's definitely been shifting it. I think there's a challenge in the space of information sharing, in the sense that good practice can sometimes be kept behind closed doors, and misinformation where someone posts a, a selfie video up on a social media platform and says this is the perfect workout program with not much science behind it. So I think there's a there's a blend of both there, but I do think we have the ability to share information more than we've ever done before. And also, I think from an accessibility point of view, you know, looking at the facility crisis that we've got going on in the UK at the moment, uh, doing a lot more things either at home with less equipment at flexible times. I think the pandemic showed everyone that that can be done. And actually, I think moving forwards, I don't see an excuse for not having a completely integrated land training program into every single swimmer's program. Now, you might only swim twice a week. Therefore, that could just be two stretching sessions that you do at home. But if you swim five or six times a week or whatever number of sessions you do and you want to move your swimming on, the land program you do can be done very simply at home with no kit or very little kit, depending on how much you want to develop it. So I think there's certainly ways of making it more creative. There's also a lot more ways of making the human body more balanced in the sense of how we develop it, how we allow it to recover, how we prevent injury and those sorts of things. And I think, again, there's a lot of good knowledge out there on those sorts of things, but I still don't think it's particularly transferred well into the club system. Um, I'm not sure of the answer for that in the short term, but I do think moving forwards, if people cannot centralise it and make it readily accessible to everybody, people will go and find it themselves. Uh, And certain sports are doing this really well already. Uh, And like I said, during the pandemic, if you look at something like Joe Wicks, you had a lot of people that showed they would be happy to do stuff at home remotely delivered in a kit free way. So I I think the the opportunity is there, but I still don't think we've fully taken advantage of it yet. Helen, when you think about um, strength training, I know that you follow a strength training program. Um, so, you know, you're in the gym various times a week. There are more and more gyms popping up all around the country now because they are becoming more and more popular. Would you would you like to see a world whereby gyms are starting to run um, or they're starting to offer their space to sports clubs to like not not completely take over the whole gym, but sort of book out space and say we're going to bring 15 people along, 20 people along, whatever, and start to see swimming clubs almost replace one or two swimming sessions a week with a session in the gym uh, and they sort of have a strength coach with them. So rather than, than getting in the pool as you normally would, it's a dedicated session in the gym using equipment, you know, dumbbells, machines, whatever it may be, and actually that becoming a session? 
Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's already happening. Um, City of Cardiff have a area of of our gym at the international pool. The I do most of my sessions with the Cardiff Devils ice hockey players. So when Nathan's telling me to do skater squats and skater jumps, I, when you actually see skaters doing it, it's like, oh, that's how you do it properly. So yeah, I've kind of learned a little bit from them. Um, so yeah, I think it is happening a little bit. I, I don't think club swimmers want to be necessarily giving up a session to take these these gym opportunities because a, a lot of clubs haven't got access necessarily to the yeah. amount of pool time they might want and if they've got pool time perhaps they can use it differently and have more swimmers in their club which brings in more money um but yeah I, I, don't, I certainly don't think there should be an obsession with the number of hours that um people are doing and I think gym makes a huge difference um I mean, this year I've done more mobility work than I've ever done in my life. Um, I'm hoping it's going to help reverse the ageing process or at least slow it down yeah. uh, so that these futuristic things we're talking about, are we still able to uh, join in maybe? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I live in a capital city, though. And I think I'm a different situation and there are a lot of sports clubs and a big network of gyms in Cardiff. Um, and I think that might be different um, if I was back with my old club in Long Eaton. Um, I paid for a gym membership privately, separate to the club, and it, it was ridiculously cheap. It was about £17 a month, and it was like a five-storey old mill with every bit of equipment you could imagine. But, um, but yeah, the club didn't have access to that, and it had a pool. Um, but, the you know, the gym wasn't allowing any club's access to it. But, yeah, I mean, I think that would be good. Um, gyms obviously want to fill themselves up in, in quiet times. It's whether swimming club kids that are in school were can use the gyms at times that the gyms are quiet yeah absolutely and kevin helen mentioned earlier about um actually in the pool type, types of training in the pool and how it's becoming more personalized and you'll have you know one coach running say 15 uh, sessions concurrently um in terms of the structure of sessions is there anything that you would like to see change moving forward um so again rather than you, you maybe you've got one coach on deck maybe maybe a new world is that we have several coaches on deck, a coach per lane and you know splitting things out like that um i think we're in a cross section at the moment uh we've got a crisis of coaching in this country in terms of coaches leaving the profession uh followed by a backlog of coaches that haven't come in over the last few years because of obviously the pandemic so i think there's a bit of a storm brewing there uh, and you only have to go on the jobs board to see that so i think in terms of more coaches on deck i think it'd be great but i think in the short term one of the things i think we need to do a lot better is being honest about what we've got and making the best of it because something i've found over the years is i can go and visit a program that's got four hours a week 20 hours a week 10 hours a week they always keep saying well we need more we need more of this we need more of this and there's nothing wrong with having the ambition to want more but equally i've seen some incredible things done in some very unincredible facilities and i think too often i think people feel like having if it's a 50-metre pool, I know Helen, obviously, the, the international pools are, are an incredible asset, but obviously a lot of programmes don't have that. But I think someone, some of the younger athletes seem to think if they don't have that, they're at a disadvantage. And I look at someone like, let's say, Rebecca Adlington, when she won her first two Olympic medals, she was training in a 25-metre pool. I look at Hannah Miley of all her success when she was up in Geary, 25-metre pool. I look at Adam when he broke his first world record and won his first Olympic gold. He was training in a 25-metre school pool. So I guess what I'm getting at here is that what we've got is what we've got, especially in a crisis of facilities and lack of coaches. We've got probably less resources in some cases than we've ever had. 
what that means is we've got to be smart with it. You know, be intelligent in what we're using, have purpose to what we're doing and be very clear as to why we are there. And there's nothing wrong with we're here for tonight's session. We're going to have some fun and do this and do that. That's still a purposeful practice. But ultimately, I think wastage is something that we can't afford to have as a, as an, as a, as a sport. And I think if we, if we do better with less resources, ultimately, if you look at the, the most entrepreneurial businesses and people that have worked in that kind of creative space, usually they create something from almost nothing. And what we've got as a swimming, or I guess, sport in this country at the moment is probably less resources than we've ever had. And yet we are having demands put on us of trying to be more creative and come up with more ideas and make things more interesting and more individualized. So I think there's a space there. But I do think in a traditionalistic mm. sport, it's very hard to think in a very creative, open-minded way because we like what we like. A lot of people will still look at textbooks from 20 years ago and assume that's exactly how it needs to be done. And we also end up training a lot of young people as if they're all going to the Olympics. And actually, yeah. if you look at the stats, it's, it's the kind of the mindset of going, well, Let's make that assumption that every young person in our sport is going to the Olympics. They're not doing it at 8, 10, or 12. They might be doing it when they're 17, 18, 19, 20. So actually, the primary goal is when they come in from learn to swim at 7, 8, 9, how do we keep them in the sport long enough to make sure they are still going when they're 17, 18, 19? Now, the irony is if we do that, everybody wins because your participation group gets bigger. Your group of potential coaches that will draw will get bigger. Mm. And actually, I think a lot of the challenges we've got in our sport can be solved by retainment. But to do that, we have to be more creative in how we look after our young people and our masters and our coaches and everyone else out there. One degree turns is not going to cut it. Ultimately, we need a complete direction change in how we look after people in our sport. And if we retain more people, every angle of it from the Olympics all the way through to grassroots and coaching and volunteering wins. So, yeah, I think in a training sense, a wholesale shift is needed, but I don't think it's a single thing. I think it's a collective group of creative ideas from across the country and in this day and age from across the world and collated and shared and kind of open source, if you like, where people can actually go, that's a great idea. Let's share that instead of, you know, don't tell, don't tell everyone what's going on over here. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, retention, as I say, is something that I do want to cover off later in terms of coming up with, um, you know, uh, thinking of ways that, that we can make that happen. Um, but just sticking to the training, Helen, um, I know that in, say, for example, a lot of age group squads, you might have a development squad, a senior squad, and a, you know, various different squads, that, and it tends to pertain to the level that you're at. Would you, I mean, this may exist already. I've never come across this before, but would you like to see a world where there is like a sprint squad, a middle distance squad, and a, a distance squad? So then you may still have one or two sessions a week where everybody trains together but ultimately you know Helen you get to go and swim in a breaststroke squad or something like that just completely change the structure of of squads to to personalize it more to what you want I think I think some places are doing that um certainly Loughborough Uni has a sprint squad and it's extremely successful um and some clubs do do that um yeah I mean I'm now in a 15 plus squad which is merged with Cardiff Met um so it's the idea is it's slightly older swimmers um so we do more stroke specific work um and pretty much every day we do a little bit of speed work whether that's off the block or from a push or whatever um so we'll see how that how I get on personally this year but I think for some of the kids that have come into that squad and they're at the younger end of that age spectrum they're quite surprised they're kind of like oh I've never done so much breaststroke I've never 
you know, I've never done so much of my number one stroke um, because they've come through a medley program. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know enough about other programs. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the ability, I think if you've got somebody that has got access to a lot of other cross training and they're doing a lot of gym and all that kind of stuff and they're quite powerful, then, you know, if they're not they're not on a, a course to go to the Olympics, maybe just let them sprint, let them enjoy their sessions, let them be sprinters. Um and I think you'd have a lot less burnout, and perhaps they're the master swimmers of of the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the moment, sort of looking, reflecting on Sheffield, the national champs, I mean, the number of people doing the sprint events was huge, and they were so competitive and so quick. Um, and so many of those relay records went. So you know, look at our part of the sport, the masters part. Then you know, having sprint squads um, is is probably a good thing in terms of longevity of people swimming. Um, but um, you know, I think I've talked about before. I did the US RPT, so ultra short race pace training program for a while, um, and we just found that uh, it, it suited me. But um, a lot of the kids just didn't have enough of a background, and in, in, in uh, whether that's technique or whether it's physiology, whatever it is, um, their strokes fell apart, and they weren't actually fit enough to sustain that amount of race pace swimming. Yeah. Um, so I think you know, there's definitely. There's definitely a balance and there's definitely the need for, you know, human coaches on deck teaching technique and skills, which is, I think, another area that masters lose out. And Kevin just spoke about that. Of, yeah. You know, there aren't enough coaches. And I think most masters clubs have got, you know, one coach who's coaching six, eight, ten lanes. Um, and there aren't lots of people on deck. So sort of how, how we feed through getting more coaches into masters, I think, is a is a challenge and uh, I'd love to know the answer to how to do it, but I've probably got a few ideas, but I don't know the answers. Yeah. I, I really like that point. And again, um, you, you've both kind of mentioned this really that not, you know, a very small percentage of people will make the Olympics. So rather than that, rather than people thinking, you know, as a 15, 16 year old thinking, oh, we'll sod that then we need to find a way of um, really advertising master swimmers and say, well, you know, you can, you can still have a brilliant swimming career. You can, compete at nationals every year you can compete at the world champs you know masters world champs and you can be a record holder you can be part of great relay teams and i wonder if that's something that we do need to do more with with age group again if you look at elite level so i'm a big fan of Immy clark amazing yeah. 50 meter sprinter not just on breaststroke but freestyle on fly as well um she should have the opportunity to go off and do the world cups but not only have world athletics changed how they pay people at those events, you, you know, it's the best average of three events or something. So, um, you know, if you're a specialist in just one event, which is great, like you could be the best in the world at one event, that's brilliant. But if the pay structure doesn't reward that and you've got to get yourself over there, which costs a lot of money. Like, um, you know, the lottery funding program is all geared towards winning medals and Olympic events. And if you don't fall into those categories, then, um, you don't you don't get to compete and that's as simple as it is so um i'd love to see more more money coming into the sport maybe it's from tech brands or whatever it is i, I you know money coming into the sport that actually makes uh going to those world cups and being a 50 meter sprinter at an elite level something that you can aspire to because the olympics isn't everything like you can go to commonwealth you can go to europeans you can go to world cups and you can have a great career it's not it's not entirely bound on the olympics yeah I, think there is, I do think there is space and the 
probably quite a controversial comment, but I believe there is quite a lot of money in our sport. It's just used very inefficiently. And if we were, if we, let's say we wiped the slate clean, and instead of talking about swimming, let's talk about it in terms of Tesco's. And I said, right, I've got a population of X, whatever it is across the UK, and I need to set up enough Tesco stores to serve those people. I would not set it up with the density of what we have of swimming clubs, certainly in certain parts of the UK. Now, obviously, in more sparse parts of the UK, obviously, that makes sense. But and again, not sure where everyone else is in terms of the listeners and where they where they train. Within 30 minute drive of my house, I can be at 30 different clubs. Okay, now. Within a 30-minute drive of my house, there are four Tesco's. Now, granted, that's serving a wider population, but my point being is that if you have 30 clubs that are all operating inefficiently and they are all struggling for coaches, officials, full-time and members, then there is, if I was a business, there would be a very common-sense approach there to bring people together. Now, that, in a very um, traditionalistic sport, is a very controversial view because there's a lot of history and heritage and those sorts of things. However, the most effective models we see in business, in other sports, is that actually resources within a given geographical area are used efficiently. Now, if you actually did that, and let's say instead of 30 clubs trying to find 30 head coaches, you had 10 clubs with still 30 coaches in place, you suddenly have more coaches within a club program. Now, number one, that's better for those coaches because it's not all pressured on them within a club. Let's say you did that model and you had an average of three senior coaches within a program. Number two, from a financial point of view, those swimmers are feeding into three three coaches, not necessarily salaries because you're not going to have three full-time coaches within like a normal wide pool club program. So actually the financial burden on the club would be lower. Uh, pool time, you know, again, can be more efficiently used. So you're not trying to cater for master's and age group and youth and you learn to swim and all these other groups within the same set of pool time actually because you've got a much bigger amount of pool time because now you've got three times as many clubs pool time under one banner it's, it's that sort of thinking that ultimately we can shy away from it as much as we like and we have done for many years but until we get our heads around that i think we're going to struggle on the financial front because we are an inefficient model which ultimately means that we are trying to buy more with less money and it's just it doesn't add up uh, and I do think if you then ran a more efficient business model system, what you would then have is more money available to support athletes. So, for example, if any swimmer qualified for nationals within a club system, they were eligible for, say, a £1,000 grant, how many more swimmers would we see going to nationals? Whereas how many can't afford to go to Sheffield for a week in the middle of August? And I know there are quite a lot of people in that situation. Therefore, they don't even attend the event. And ultimately, mm -hmm. that then blocks the talent pathway and all these other things when we, we get further down the line. So I do think there is a, a financial discussion to be had. But again, we are trying to move to a very futuristic approach of business. Business is already there. A business would have completely changed the model like that. But ultimately, we're not a business. We're a, generally a volunteer-run organization from top to bottom. I know that's different in certain places, but the vast majority, it's like that. And therefore, we're trying to marry up that with that and it doesn't work we need to have this complete shift over here but whether that could happen maybe that's wishful thinking it's, it's pretty, it's pretty much just described city of cardiff actually because if i drive for half an hour i get absolutely nowhere other than the sea um so yeah city of cardiff <laughs> there's no no other clubs well you could maybe get to newport if there's no traffic but um yeah i mean that's what city of cardiff did in 1973 
with Dave Haller is they just gave all the clubs an ultimatum pretty much and said we either merge and we get all the pool time in the city or we stay separate and um, so he said he would take the head coach's role if if the club merged and be a professional coach, um, which is what happened. So that's why the club that. has as much pool time as it was. I won't name check them because um, I haven't asked them if I can name check them, but I know one club that I went and visited that did that exact model over the last 10 years. And from a sports development point of view, it's a huge success story. And ultimately, the, I can't remember the exact quotes the coach said to me, but it was something to the effect of, if you divide your resources, all you get is mass mediocrity. And that is what our sport has. If you look across the vast majority of clubs, they do okay. They're not completely falling apart, but they're not achieving their potential relative to the individual people that they've got within that club because they don't have the resources. And that's what we get. We get a lot of average across the UK. Not enough of this, not enough of that. But actually, if you look at it zoomed out within a, like a geographical area, a, a borough, a town, a county, you know, you look what Nova's done, you look what's gone on with Venture Excel and other places like that. That is where we are heading. And people will fight and push back and go, no, that is not how we do things here. And that's fine. But ultimately, it's not about the people making the decisions. It's the future of the seven, eight, nine, ten year olds that are coming into the sport. They deserve to have those opportunities put in front of them. And it's bold, it's hard, and it takes a hell of a lot of work to get it done. But it's worth it. Because ultimately, if you look at the success stories that have come out of these programs, if you look under the umbrellas, if you like, of the, the two more county-orientated programs, although I know Adam didn't come directly through Derby itself, again, through City of Derby, what's gone on in that network? And then you look at Rebecca Adlington coming through the Nottingham model, and you go, look, our two last Olympic gold medalists free this wave that we've currently got at the moment, came out of effectively two counties that are, have shown they are going to forward think and try something new. So I think there's an onus on a lot of other counties to consider looking at that sort of thing. And it doesn't work everywhere. But ultimately, if we don't start to pool our resources, we are going to struggle. Mm. I think I think it's interesting. And I do like the idea of, um, you know, of, of merging more clubs and then you, you could still have access to all of those pools that like you mentioned, you know, in 30 minutes, you could you could go to 30 different clubs, for example. You can still use all of those pools to get pool time. I think there's definitely a world in which that could work. Just playing devil's advocate when I was, and you know, you talked about mediocrity. We, we were, I swam for a very small club. Um, we didn't have any stars uh, at my club and a lot of the surrounding clubs were the same, to be honest. We were all small clubs, but we used to have our own little um, sort of county leagues and stuff where we would literally have galas where Belper would race against Ripley and Ilkeston. And, it, you know, it was they were some of the most fun galas that you'd do they, they meant nothing they probably didn't even go on the system in terms of your times but it was just a, a right laugh because you'd be getting on the coach for Ripley away and you just thought this is wicked on Saturday night so I think, but, um, but I some of those some of those clubs Joe I mean uh, you mentioned Belper and that's where yeah. uh Ross Ross Davenport came from and he you know he's double commonwealth champion like oh, those yeah, little yeah. clubs I'm I think not, the, not... the competitiveness between all those little clubs I and mean, when I'm from Nottingham you know, there were 16 different clubs in Nottingham that fed into Nova and they were all really competitive with each other, which created the environment that you then put those people into a pool together. And it was a rubbish pool that Rebecca Addington was training in because that's where I trained. But um, you put them all into a, an environment where they're together and um, they all really, you know, trained brilliantly well together. So mm. I think there are some merits of, you know, having that competitiveness and not only having one place to go and swim, but... Um, I totally agree with what Kevin's saying in terms of if you want really high quality coaching, yeah, 
um, actually pooling resources is definitely the way to go. Yeah, I think I think to both points, it's it's, it's about trying to find um, you know a system where you can pool resources but still make it feel super competitive from a fun point of view, not not mm-hmm. from a like a really serious point of view. But like I say that that idea of getting on a coach on a Saturday to go and race against Ripley, you want you don't want to lose that sort of um, competitiveness uh, with, with all your teammates if they if they became teammates. But let, let's move on to racing. Um, th- this one's quite exciting because there's. There was a lot of comments on the on the Facebook post that I put out about this, about what like what changes would you like to see in competitions. A lot of people have said twenty five races. Now I know that some uh, masters meets do run twenty fives, but I think what people are referring to is more twenty fives actually counting on the system and becoming even perhaps an Olympic uh, event or something like that. So Kevin, what what races would you like to see uh, be brought into the schedule? Uh, that's a good question. Um... I'm quite, again, I'm quite, a, I guess, a maverick or a rogue in that sense that I'm, I don't look for swimming solutions to swimming problems. I'll look beyond the swimming pool. So if anyone fancies it, jump on YouTube and go and search for the national or the world or the European life-saving championships. And you'll find videos floating around on YouTube of Ponds Forge set up with the 10 lanes as an obstacle course. Okay. And if anyone's ever trained along some sort of alongside anyone on the, the GB life-saving team, they are damn good swimmers. You know, for context, one of the guys I used to coach in my uni team was a 5200 freestyler, you know, not sluggish by any stretch of the imagination. But ultimately, they they understand that if you're going to be more creative, don't just stay within your lane, try things beyond that. And if you look at, and again, maybe a little bit of nostalgia here, but you think of stuff like superstars, we all used to watch on the TV where you brought together sets of athletes to compete in different sports. And you look at some of the most entertaining things we see on TV. I know they tried to do one recently called The Games where they brought different people in to do different sports and televised the whole thing. I do think we need to start looking outside the sports swimming. So in terms of events, I don't think there's a limit. I think if you look at something like speed climbing that's coming to the Olympics and look at what they've done there and actually go, how many swimmers would want to have a go at that? I think almost every hand would go up. Is there a swimming benefit to climbing? Absolutely. But what is there more of a benefit? It looks like damn good fun. So in terms of events, I think we actually just need to get more creative in what our sport offers. It doesn't always have to be just an Olympic event swimming up and down in a straight line. Can we actually do things that are maybe just for fun? And yeah, you can rank them and you can put them on tables and set records and all those sorts of things. But the primary reason to create these things is that they are an enjoyable experience. The ranking and the classification of it all is secondary, not the other way around. And that's how our sport works at the moment. If you ask to run a level one, two, three, four meet, there is a tiered approach to it. And it's based on a level one modeling what goes on at a nationals and an international event. And that is how we structure our sport. And actually, if we're looking for retainment, you need to think of it of another way around. And if you look at stuff like five-a-side football, you look at T20 cricket, you look at what they've done with the 100. Yes, there was a lot of resistance to that sort of stuff on the sprint race in Formula One. But ultimately, they went back the other way. How can we make it more interesting? And I think we just need to think outside the box a little bit and try things. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know the answer. Try something. If it doesn't work, that's okay. But if you keep trying new things, that's how you innovate. That's ultimately how you learn. You fail, you fail, you fail, but you learn new ways of doing things. Completely agree, um, Helen. And Kevin said, it's about looking beyond your lane. So how about that? How about you? You do a race where you have to start in one lane and end in, end in another one. 
<laughs> Doesn't the um, the race in the London Aquatics? Is it the out to swim one? They do like inflatable races and all sorts of things. I, I never so, made it to that event. Um, what's it called? Um, I don't remember the name of it, but lots of people go and they have a great time. Um, but um, kind of, I, I work across lots of different sports, and I see things like cycling and triathlon and uh, running, and uh, you know, doing events that are made just for TV. Um, and it's something that you consider really boring, like the hour record in cycling. It's not in the Olympics, but um, people will go and see how far they can ride for an hour. Yeah. And they'll go to altitude. Um, I, saw, I read yesterday that uh, British Cycling had made a £55,000 bike that was 3D printed that made them for the Olympics. Um, and they're just sort of you're looking at how they can push technology to see just how fast a human can go. And, you know, I was really excited when Speedo said, oh, we're going to um, see if we can get Caleb Dressel into one of the original yeah. full body lasers. And if he can break 20 seconds for, for 53, and I would love to see that. But you know, they did it in a pool that wasn't a particularly fast pool at a time of year when he wasn't rested and tapered, um, and he and he didn't do it. And you know, you look at um, the the sub two hour marathon attempt that Kipchoge did, um, and the amount of technology and research that went into enabling him to do that. And it wouldn't have stood as a world record, but it's like, can a human being run that fast? So, mm. you know, is there a swimming equivalent? And you put something on straight after the Olympics when everyone's rested and you know, I, I'm I'm a much bigger fan of watching the, the sprint races. I'd rather see 50 meters than an 800 and a 1500 in the Olympics. But actually, I'm quite interested in how far Dan Whiffin can swim in 15 minutes, or you know, whatever it is. And you could have a pool full of people. Um, so I don't know that. And and there's money on all these events. There's there's money. And you know, there was a triathlon one where it was women had to break eight hours and men had to break seven hours. And there was a ton of money put up for it. And they're okay. gambling on it as well, which probably shouldn't go into that in detail. But I don't know. They just they are specific events that are made for a viewing audience, and I think they challenge um, science and they challenge. Helen, imagine you did that. Imagine you said we're going to have a thirty-minute slot on TV. And we're going to do a T5, a T10, and a T15. Now, all swimmers generally will know what that means because they go, yeah, five minutes, swim as far as you can. But Joe Public will go, what do you mean, swim as far as you can in five minutes? I do four lengths when I go to the baths, as my nan would say, and actually go, yeah, but I tell you what, watch it on TV, and we're going to get a load of different people to come in, and we'll have a few celebrities, and we'll have a bit of fun, and you'll have somebody on poolside asking somebody who's just you know, managed two lengths in five minutes how they feel. It's that kind of thinking. Where yeah. if you do that sort that, of stuff, yeah. people. It could easily be swimming's park run equivalent in some respects, couldn't it? It's not like yeah. dive off a block and see how quick you can swim 100, because that's not scalable, because you've got to have one person in one lane, and you know you can't have yeah. lots of people doing that. But you know, people can get a smartwatch or whatever it is that they need to to measure, to count their laps for them if they can't count um, uh, and time it. But people can see, like, you know. So and so, Dan Whiffin swam how far in five minutes, and I reckon I can do fifty meters less. Well, actually, I'm going to get nowhere near that. But you know, that kind of stuff does it does interest me because you know it, you've got the geographical aspect as well, haven't you? Of uh, science and geography of you know, where's do you, are you better off at altitude? Are you better off at sea level? Are you like what type of pool are you better in? Um, but actually, you can go down your 25 meter baths and swim for five minutes flat out, and hopefully, no public swimmers will get in your way. But um, you know, there's those. I think stuff like that would be quite interesting. Yeah. I love and it's, that. I love it's that extra thing. things outside of the Olympic program. I think we're kind of really bound up in 
you know, this is the traditions of the sport and these are the events we have. But, um, you know, like Kevin, the, the, um, I've seen this, the surf lifesaving competitions. It's massive down here in South Wales. It just looks so much fun. I'm, I quite often I'll go to the gym and the pools, pools closed because there's a surf lifesaving comp. It just looks brilliant. Yeah, absolutely does. Kevin, would you like to see any races be done with equipment? So, for example, you know, would you like to see a race where it's it's a hundred meters freestyle, but you're allowed to wear fins, for example? Yeah. Um, why not? And paddles. Yeah. Okay. And let's let's see how ridiculous we can get it. Like somebody did yeah. something years ago with Phelps. They never actually did it because you wouldn't be allowed to do it. But they raced him against the pace of the shark. And it was, it was again, just, it was being silly because at that time, Speedo were fast skin and they were like, it's just based on the skin of a shark and all of this sort of stuff. But it was, this is what sport needs, good marketing. But the fact we can articulate one or two or three key examples from the last 25 years of swimming kind of shows the problem. And if you look at someone like the American college system, it's probably a good way of looking at it. A lot of those teams, especially not the, the ones that are like Div 1, trying to win NCAAs actually are just going we're just a great program and we have a great time follow the, some of those guys on Instagram and what they do in their practices and have fun you know I saw someone trying to rate their 25 yard record the other day with a running dive off a diving board okay now that clip had probably more yes. views than some clips from the world championships this year I know, I know, I know it's interesting mean, actually yeah 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 but it's that I know, sort I know of thing thinking, mean, I think good. and that's where I, I do think moving forwards we can do more of that sort of stuff like Anyone who's watched the Usain Bolt documentary will know Usain Bolt's got a pool in his garden at home. Now, could you imagine if you went out to all the high-end sports people around the world and said, who's got a swimming pool or access to a swimming pool? And you started ranking Usain Bolt okay, against Michael Johnson, you know, against Chris Hoy, all in a swimming pool. And you started doing things like that. And then people who are not natural swimmers, but going, I can be competitive with Chris Hoy because he can't swim either. That sort of, you know, I do think we need to stop just trying to do one degree shifts and going, yeah, but how does this feed into the qualification for counties, regionals and nationals? It's like, no, you've got mm. to think beyond that. You know, you don't see people playing five-a-side football in their hundreds of thousands every Wednesday night and just turn up with no referee and no coach and just crack on with the game, stressing about the fact they're not going to be playing for Manchester United at Old Trafford on the weekend. That's not why they're there. They're there to have a good time, mm. to keep fit and healthy. And then they all go and have a social afterwards. And that is where, if we're going to retain more people in our sport, we've got to think along those sorts of lines. And like I said, if you retain more people in your sport, we're doing different events, doing stuff with kit, doing all these weird and wonderful things. Your performance end will still benefit because you're going to have more people in the door. You know? Hmm. Completely agree. And I think, uh, you know, I like the point of kitting somebody up with, with, you know, with equipment that makes you faster because, you know, everybody's talking about wanting to see um, a man sort of go under under 21 seconds or whatever in the 50 freestyle because it hasn't happened since 2009. I want to see someone do it in 10 seconds. Uh, forget forget 20 seconds. I want to see somebody just go so fast that you just think that was unbelievable. Get get the longest fins you could imagine on, the, the biggest paddles. And yeah, let's have it. So um, talking about that public interest and, and making these wacky races that you televise, the, the thing that I'm always drawn to when I think about get making swimming more interesting for the general public is two things one is that every year people will sit and watch wimbledon and will absolutely fall in love with tennis they've got no interest in ever playing tennis but suddenly they love it once a year when wimbledon's on and the other thing is you don't see it so much on telly anymore i think now that there's more access to 
Um, other sports and things like football has completely taken over with the Premier League and Sky Sports and whatever. But you used to get people watching snooker. Like all that used to be on the telly all the time. Now, I couldn't think of anything more boring than a snooker game. A lot of people like it. But surely swimming, fast swimming racing is far more exciting than watching a really long, boring snooker game in a dark hall. So how come they can do it and we can't is, is my point. So how do we kind of make yeah swimming more interesting for, for the general public? I'm going to come to you, Helen, on that one. Um, I, when I was in the 90s, I competed in something called the Fast Water Meet on Channel 4. And um, I used to, obviously, I'd go to school and uh, people would know I was a swimmer, but they didn't they didn't ever see it. Anyway, the Fast Water Meet was on and it was, I think it was five five lanes. They're all colour-coded and we got given our suits. We had to wear a colour-coded hat. When we walked out behind the block, we weren't allowed to put our hat on so you could see people's faces, you could see their hair. Uh, they got teams over from Germany and Holland. and the amount of people that said that they watched that and they used different kind of spotlights and it was like, I'm going to support the green team, which was Nova. Um, you know, people really got into supporting it and um, it's never been redone. And, and I think if you kind of move that into a more modern era, like um, think of Sheffield, the National Masters, who could actually see that scoreboard? Because nobody passed about the first 10 metres could see it. And I spoke to so many women that I've never spoken to because all of us were bonding over the fact that we couldn't see the scoreboard when we finished them in and what time had we done. But why don't we have basketball-style scoreboards yeah. with all four sides uh, viewable? And not only does it give you your reaction time and your splits, but it also shows how fast you swim in. Um, and it's got spot lamps attached to it, so you zoom in at the end on the person that's won the race and you know, actually encouraging people to celebrate when they've won and mm. um, just much more interactive kind of viewing experience because that – basic color coding thing from the 90s that that worked so you know how can we modernize that and and actually get some in crowds and i think you know the isl did pick up on a lot of that and it's a real shame that's not carried on i think the isl was perhaps a little bit too complicated i think going back to supporting the green the red or the orange team or whatever it is was much more simplistic um but i think the isl did uh, really kind of show a lot of other people what, what can be done and, and I hope that those lessons aren't forgotten and um, you know I personally would love to see more spot lamps and flame throwing and more interactive scoreboards and commentators going wild and um, just you know a bit more atmosphere. Completely agree and, and I know that this is more of a personality thing so some people are perhaps more introverted and wouldn't want to um play to a crowd but you know when people win swimming races I, I, you know i want to see him getting on the lane ropes and giving it the big one because again that that you is get what on the lane ropes, you, you delay the meat they'll break <laughs> yeah. it's, but it's, it's all about emotion isn't it you know, you, every time you see a footballer score a goal and they just go crazy and i just think that yeah. is what sport is and in the moment you just lose yourself for a second and i just think otherwise it all feels very clinical when somebody touches the wall they just get a world record they take their goggles off and they just kind of go Cool. I think, well, so no wonder people aren't getting interested then. Whereas if they're whipping their speedos off, people will be like, oh, wicked. <laughs> they're all over this. Um, Kevin, do you think there's something around the swimmers themselves? And I, I guess now I'm talking about the the superstars, the Olympians, you know. Um, you know, I mentioned um, tennis and probably a, a big reason why people love Wimbledon is because they've loved watching Roger Federer for many years. They've loved watching Andy Murray, all that kind of stuff. Do you think we need to kind of um, make celebrities more of our swimmers? It's an interesting one because I think actually our sport has a lot of interesting things going on in it. But I think our shop window is terrible. I don't think our young people 
are given the opportunity to perhaps tell their story. And ultimately, if you look at the reason that we engage with sport is that we engage with people's stories. We engage, we get behind a team because we've heard of their story or they're from our town or we have an affiliation, an emotional connection. And to do that, you need to be able to talk to cameras. You need to be able to interact. You need to have platforms to do those sorts of things. And whether that's live TV or through social media or through stuff like YouTube, I do think there's a space there to start getting better content delivered. Um, I don't see that as a barrier to things like what the NBA have done. You know, look at the ISL. You go the swimming example there. Showing it can be done in the pool. It needs to be done in a sustainable way. And obviously that wasn't financially sustainable, but it showed it can be done. And there are elements to that that could be implemented in any meet anywhere, especially with people within clubs that have got a bit of tech knowledge and understands the way in which they can integrate things into timing systems and things like that. There's a lot more we could do. But again, it comes back to efficient use of resources. If every single club in the UK is treading water, metaphorically speaking, they haven't got the spare resources to try and make things more creative because they are operating at their absolute maximum capacity. If you make things more efficient, like you wouldn't say a business, you would then reinvest some of those resources in other areas. And that's where I think as a sport, until we make our, our sports more effective and efficient, we can't dress it up. Until we get to the point where it becomes more dressed up and commercially attractive, you're not then going to get the external commercial interest. If you speak to anyone outside of swimming and go, who wants to come along and watch a 1500 race? No, thank you. And that's not knocking 1500s. I'm captivated watching people like Dan Jervis over the last few Olympic trials where he gets achingly close to the British record and the pool side of coaches and swimmers are going mad. But ultimately, are we getting people like Dan and other people out there building YouTube channels from the age of 18 and understanding that if they do that, they're going to start developing a following and sharing their stories and getting sponsors behind them and all these sorts of things. But I don't think it's going to change if we keep the products the way we've got it, if that makes sense. So our people are still a product. They're a commodity. Look at the, you know, take the NBA as the example, Steph Curry, Michael Jordan. They are a product. They are a product that have unilaterally raised the profile of their sports but they are taking a person and turn them into a commercially viable product. And that's where I think in swimming, if we can start to think along those sorts of lines, it's not going to change overnight. It'll take decades, but that's fine. You know, the NBA in the 80s wasn't what it was now. Um, so, yeah, they are my thoughts. Yeah, I completely agree with that. From a very, very simplistic um, point of view, even just like as a kid having a poster on your wall of a swimmer, you know, I, I, you could probably get them online somewhere, but it's very easy to walk into a sports direct and get posters of David Beckham or, you know, when he was a footballer or, or whatever. How can we get how can we get posters of Adam Peaty and Anna Hopkin and, uh, and whatever? That that for me is just from on a very simplistic level. That's that's the sort of thing you're talking about. And I completely agree with. Um, right, well, we'll leave it there. That was a really interesting conversation. Um, this was probably a part one. We'll probably cover this again at some point in the future. Um, I'm, re I'm really into all these wacky race ideas now, uh, all these obstacle courses. So I think that's probably the line I want to go down next time to explore more of that. Can we even create masters competitions where, where there are no traditional races? They're, they're all weird and weird and wonderful races, uh, which I think would be really fun. Um, but thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Helen, uh, for your time. Um, have a great, uh, great day, everybody, and uh, see you soon.